you're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And I've been told by my wife I need to give you a little update. I told you last week we were planning on taking my son uh, and daughter to Silver Dollar City. Steal your Dollar City. And uh, we went and uh, we were able, Baylor and I, he was just tall enough with about three inches to spare to ride fire in the hole. And uh, he was excited, but then he got real quiet when it got real dark. And uh, he didn't cry, but at the end he said, I don't like this. But we had a lot of fun and a good time away with our family making memories. And it really was good to come home and to turn on Northwest Avenue and see good old El Dorado, Arkansas. There's no place like home. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about living an extraordinary life. I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to begin a a summer sermon series called uh, Summer Road Trip. And we're going to be looking at different roads from God's Word, but along the theme of a road trip in the summer. It's it's fun to get out and about, and uh, and so I pray that you will come back next Sunday and bring your Bible, and it's going to be, I think, a really interesting series. But today we're talking about living an extraordinary life. As we think about Memorial Day and maybe some of those who have passed this year that we love and miss, we think about the legacy that they left, and we're going to see from God's Word how Jesus called His first disciples. And in Luke chapter 5, we really get the best fishing story of all time. I'm looking for Scott Tanner, but he may be out fishing. So I hope he's watching this because I'm preaching this sermon for you, Scott. But I know many of you love to fish, and I love to fish on occasion too. Uh, My son's almost old enough that I can take him fishing, and that will uh, unveil a whole new realm of fishing. Uh, But this fishing story really is the greatest of all time. And it really talks about... Uh, dependence on the Lord and how we need to trust the Lord and what it looks like to follow him and live an extraordinary life. Now at this point in the gospel of Luke, word has gotten out about Jesus. Crowds have gathered. Uh, He has begun his ministry, begun to perform miracles and give sight to the blind and cause the lame to walk. And he was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And this is at the very onset of his ministry when crowds had gathered And at the same time as crowds had gathered on the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, it says in our text, the same thing, the Sea of Galilee, there were fishermen fishing there. In Bible times, fishermen were pretty ordinary men. Uh, That was a pretty ordinary occupation. They probably smelled a lot like fish. Go figure. Uh, But they would use their, their nets and their baskets and sometimes even their bare hands to make a livelihood. Uh, These were hard-working men. And at least four of Jesus' disciples, and perhaps three more, were fishermen. And these ordinary men encounter the Savior, and he causes them to live an extraordinary life and to leave an extraordinary legacy. In Luke chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. If you got it, say got it. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, He was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. Fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. God, we ask that you would open up our eyes to see the truth in this story. God, we would learn some principles for living a life that makes a difference. To go beyond the ordinary, to go to extraordinary for your kingdom and for your glory and by your power. So God, we ask that we would decrease, that you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Something very odd happened at the 2004 Athens Olympics in Athens, Greece. The 50-meter rifle event found a very talented uh, American shooter named Matt Emmons. And he was very skilled. He deserved to be at the Olympics. And in the final round, he made a, a shot that usually would have been more than enough to get the gold medal in the 50-meter rifle event. But something very unusual and very interesting happened. He made a rare mistake. He shot at the wrong target. He was standing in lane two, and he shot at the target in lane three. Instead of getting the score of 8.1, which would have been a great shot, he got a big old goose egg, a zero. Some of us go through life, and we uh, aim at the wrong target. And we think we're going to hit the bullseye, whether it be in our careers or in our bank accounts, retirement accounts, or, or having a condo on the beach or so forth. We think that, that, the, that we can have it made that we have a target that we're aiming for, but it would be such a shame to go through life to look at the end and see that we were aiming at the wrong target all along. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And in this passage, we see some ordinary men who had the right target. I want you to see today that Jesus can turn our ordinary life into an extraordinary life by living in him, you and I can make a difference that is greater than we could ever imagine. In fact, this isn't even about us. It's about him. And when he takes control of our lives, he can do a lot with my little old life. The first principle I want you to see today is that the extraordinary life is a life of obedience. A life of obedience. The first thing you have to do if you want to be extraordinary is you have to obey God. Uh, there were crowds gathered in verse 1, and they were pressing in. Could you imagine being a part of that crowd? The Sea of Galilee, they were pressing in on Jesus so much that he had to get into a boat to get out a little bit away from them. The Sea of Galilee, where was Jesus would carry out uh, estimated 85% of his ministry. 
It's a beautiful lake. In the time of Christ, there were nine towns surrounding its shores, each town having 15,000 people or more. So you can imagine that people had come from these towns and they had gathered in a crowd. This beautiful sea is set in the middle of the Jordan Valley, and all kinds of birds and flowers and fruit grow there. It's a very fertile place, a very beautiful place. In fact, the Jews call it the Garden Lake. And it has been said of this sea that it is the most sacred sheet of water that the earth contains. And so here was Jesus teaching on that day, and all these crowds had gathered, and they were pressing in to hear the word of God. The first thing in a life of obedience is filling your life with the word of God. Making sure that God's voice is the loudest one speaking to you. There are so many voices and messages and advertisements that come our way. We need to be faithful if we want to be extraordinary that God's word would be filling our lives. That it would be so pervasive in our lives, every moment of life, we would hide his word in our heart and it would overflow up out of our life. And Jesus was on the the bank of this lake and he was preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. Uh, Here was the Son of God, the Word became flesh, and He was teaching them the Word of God. That's what changes our lives is the Word of God. His message was that the blind were given sight, that the captive were set free, the guilty were pardoned, the sinner were shown mercy, the prodigal was brought home, the lost was found. And His message is still the same this morning. The extraordinary life begins with a life that is filled with the Word of God. And in verse 2, here's what happened. He saw two boats by the lake, and there had been fishermen that had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. These nets were very important to their livelihood. These nets were what enabled them to catch fish. And if they didn't wash them and stretch them out, these nets would end up rotting and breaking, and then they would lose the fish. And so these men were doing their ordinary job, and Jesus saw the two boats, And in verse 3, the Bible says that he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little bit from land. And then Jesus sat down and taught people from the boat. Make sure that, that you hear God's voice loud and clear, that you can hear him each and every day through opening up your word. That's why we make a big deal about the Bible at Emmanuel Baptist Church, because the word of God and the spirit of God are the only things that can change your life. And the only things that can change my life, we need to fill our lives with the Word of God. The next thing that we need to do is uh, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not our circumstances. Here are these fishermen who were washing their nets. They had a pretty interesting problem. Look in verse 5. When Jesus had asked them to, 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 he had finished speaking and got in the boat, he told Simon, put out into the deep. And let your nets down for a catch. Verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and have took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. They had a pretty uh, interesting circumstance. They had pulled an all-nighter without a monster energy drink or a five-hour. I don't know if they had access to coffee. Maybe they chewed some caffeine leaves. But they stayed up all night and they had nothing to show for it. You know, that's why they call it fishing and not catching, because sometimes you go and you just don't catch anything. Anybody ever had a a fishing trip like that? Well, here's, you know how frustrating it is. You spend all this time and you get all your things together, but these men, their livelihood depended on it, and they had fished all night and they had come up with absolutely 
nothing. And everybody knew that in the Sea of Galilee, you caught fish at night in the shallow water. And here was Jesus in the day telling them to go out into the deep. The complete opposite of the way that you would catch fish there. I could imagine Peter in his mind thought, Jesus, you're a, a carpenter and a craftsman. I'm a fisherman. You take care of the preaching and teaching and leave the fishing up to me. Uh, why would you even want to take advice from uh, this man from Galilee when it comes to fishing? And Jesus told him to go out into the deep. And nevertheless, Peter said, even though we, we've worked all night long and we've taken nothing, at your word, Jesus, we'll go out and we'll let down our nets. See, Peter had to come to the end of his rope before he could encounter the power of God. He had to admit that all of his strivings and his work and his toil amounted really to nothing when compared to what Jesus could do with his life. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at the circumstances around us, whether it be an illness, or a wayward loved one, a broken relationship, a lost job, uh, impending finals if you're a student. We look at all of our circumstances and it's tempting for us to focus on those circumstances, to fix our eyes on them instead of Jesus. And sometimes we get so caught up in the things that we can do, and it doesn't really happen until we come to the end of our ropes and realize that apart from Jesus, we're nothing. It's a lesson you must learn many times if you want to be in ministry, that it doesn't matter how much work you do for God or how much you strive and, and you do all these things for Him, you can do it all apart from His Spirit and away from his love. But when you're empowered by his spirit and you're fixing your eyes on him, he can change uh, your life and he can make a difference with your life. And so fix your eyes on Jesus and not your circumstances. Even though Peter didn't understand Simon Peter, even though it didn't make sense, nevertheless, he obeyed. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us when God tells us to do something, but we shouldn't delay, we shouldn't deny, we should obey. He was willing to obey. And so our obedience means that God can show up in a big way in our lives. Uh, the extraordinary life is one of obedience, but the next thing I want you to see is that the extraordinary life is one of abundance. It's one of abundance that, that fills uh, us up and, and overflows in our life, that we have more than enough. Jesus said that I came to give them life and life more abundantly. And even though these men had empty nets, Jesus sent them right back out into the water, the exact same circumstance that they had had that came up with nothing. But the difference was this time they had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. And he changed their situation. He sent them right back out into that same water, but Jesus changed their emptiness into abundance. Look in verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They caught so many that their nets were almost breaking. And so they had so much, they had an abundance that, that they couldn't even believe that just a few hours prior they had come up with nothing. A life of abundance begins with following Jesus' commands to see a harvest. Following what he says to do, obeying him, and seeing a harvest. They needed to have these empty nets before Jesus could fill them up. I learned a long time ago, and I still have to relearn, that you can't be full of yourself and full of Jesus at the same time. It's only when we empty ourselves of ourself and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us that God can fill us up with the abundant life 
that we would have an overflowing life that would make a difference and be an extraordinary life. Missionary Barbara Singerman, if you're looking for a good summer book, she wrote a book called Beyond Surrender. It's about her family that moved from the United States. In fact, they spent a time in Brinkley, Arkansas when her husband was in seminary. International Mission Board missionaries went to uh, Africa in the Congo area, served there for many years. A very interesting story uh, of tragedy and heartbreak, but also healing. And you'll look into it and learn all of that. But she has this wonderful quote about abundance. And it's really a paradox because it doesn't make sense to the world. She writes this, Abundance in Christ occurs only through complete abandonment. The emptying of all we have and all we are and all we hope into his consuming hands. Life of abundance begins when we empty ourselves. And when the disciples were empty and when they obeyed, they had such a large number of fish that their nets could not even handle it. So we need to, to follow his commands. We also need to find friends who will follow Jesus with us. If you want to live a life that makes a difference, you can't do it on your own. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. And in verse 7, their nets were overflowing. These fishermen signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats. So much so that the boats began to sink. Can you imagine? You're sitting there in the boat, all these fish flopping around you, and the boats are sinking. And they needed their friends. They said, guys, come over here, help us. We've got so many, we need some help. Uh, Fishing in that day was a profession that was a a team profession. You wouldn't just go out on your own. You needed your friends. Your friends in life will either make you or break you. The friends and the companions and the acquaintances you have are not neutral. They don't cause you to stay the same. Your friends can either encourage you to be more like Jesus or discourage you in your faith and push you further away from him. Uh, They're not neutral. And you need friends that will follow Jesus with you. That will stand up and say, I'm willing to go against the culture and obey the word of God alongside of you. And to walk in love and in truth. And to be with you when you're down. And to help you when you need encouragement. We all need friends like that. And so you need to find friends, if you're going to have a life of abundance, that will follow Jesus with you. I want to give all the money in the world for my friends. I need them. And so a life of uh, obedience and a life of abundance really leads to a life of significance. A life of significance. Look in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw the it, talking about the boats overflowing, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We need to have a significant life by finding out who we are in Jesus. This initial confession of Peter realized that how awesome and holy Jesus was and how sinful he was as an ordinary man. You and I need to have a time in life where we, like Isaiah says, say, woe is me, I am a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of unclean lips, meaning I have sinned against God, I'm not holy. And Peter had this initial confession, but Peter would grow in his knowledge and his, his experience of who Jesus was. And ultimately, Peter would be the one that would confess that that he believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so this was a journey where where Peter found his significance by knowing who Jesus was. He found his significance in his identity in Jesus. We live in a world that are facing uh, our children and our teenagers are facing identity crises. Uh, They don't know who they are. 
Uh, we have so much confusion over, over gender and over identification and, and all sorts of things where we identify with, with this political group or that political group, which, and we, we identify with our job or we identify with our bank account, and we, we put our identity in either what we have or what we do instead of what God says about us. And so we need to find a, a significant life is found in Jesus and knowing who we are in him. And as long as we think that we're good on our own and we can do it on our own, we'll never know our identity in Christ. We can never be transformed unless we say, I'm sinful, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus steps in and instead of leaving us and pushing us out, he welcomes us in, forgives us, and cleans us up. Uh, Moses, he spent a, a good number of years in the identity crisis. You'll remember him, uh, D.L. Moody said he spent 40 years thinking that he was somebody. 40 years learning he was a nobody, and the last 40 years learning what God can do with a nobody. Finding a life of significance. Find out who you are in Jesus. Also, flee from sin and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. We have sinfulness on our own, but when Jesus changes us and we follow him, we need to flee from sin because that's not our identity anymore. Our identity is found in being a, a son or daughter of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin has been forgiven, and we need to live like it. And so we need to flee from sin and be filled with the Spirit. And don't be afraid when God shows up. Look in verse 9. For he and all who were with him, talking about Simon Peter, were astonished at the catch the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. When you've repented of sin and you've acknowledged your empty nets and you're obeying Jesus, watch out, God is going to do something amazing. Uh, partners, these fishermen, they made great disciples because they had qualities that were very helpful in spreading the gospel. They worked together. They were patient. They were determined. They didn't quit. And so what would it look like today if every believer here today and watching online went out and actually obeyed Jesus and fixed their eyes on him and asked him to do something that only he could do? I think it would change our city and, and the world around us in a profound way because of our extraordinary lives. When God shows up, things happen. So that's a life of obedience, abundance, and significance. But really, it all ends with a life of influence. Once we know who we are and we're obeying Jesus, and we have an abundant life, we need to fish for men by sharing the gospel. Jesus gave them a lesson after he had accomplished this miracle. In verse 10, he told Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus came to this ordinary man, changed his life, gave him a brand new purpose. After his identity was changed, his purpose was changed. And no longer would Simon Peter be catching fish. He would be catching men. Now this word catching in the original language is very interesting. It means literally this, snatching people alive from danger. Think about fish, we catch them to clean them and eat them. Uh, it's not really pleasant for them. But when we catch men, when, when, when Jesus enables us to be fishers of men and women, he enables us to rescue them, to catch them alive, to save them from danger. In fact, Proverbs 24, 11 says this, Rescue those being taken off to death. Save those who are stumbling towards slaughter. We live in a world that is stumbling towards eternal separation from God, who is rejecting God. And we need to rescue those, 
But notice that it's not really about us because Jesus said, from now on, you will be catching men. I'm going to make you the fisher of men. It's what he enables us to do. And he's the one that opens up eyes and and hearts and, and, and convicts. But our job is to be obedient and share and fish for men. Do you know that Satan is a fisherman too? God's got his hooks out in the water. He's got his followers sharing Jesus and his spirit's working. But Satan, in verse 26 of 2 Timothy 2, says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. See, Jesus wants to catch you and to save you and to rescue you from eternal danger. Satan wants to capture you and enslave you and to sentence you to an eternal separation from God. There's all kinds of fishing going on in the world today, and we need to be fishers on God's side. This message of rescue is for everybody. Uh, this, this message needs to be proclaimed by every believer, and we need to be believers that are ordinary people living ordinary lives, sharing an extraordinary message. Amen? Amen. We have a wonderful opportunity in August, I spoke of it last Sunday, South Arkansas together, where we're going to put a whole lot of hooks out in the water. We're going to pray that God would save, that we would be obedient to proclaim the message, and that His Holy Spirit would work on hearts. People would repent and turn to Him. And we're going to pray that God would do that, but did you know we need two to three hundred decision counselors after the message? We're expecting a big crowd. We need to make sure we have enough people that when lost people respond to the gospel and get saved, there is a believer that can visit with them right after the evangelistic message and visit with them one-on-one to make sure they understand the gospel and they're believing the gospel and they're repenting and turning to Christ. And so we need a lot of people to do that. Next Sunday at five o'clock in the fellowship hall, we're going to have a training. Uh, We're expecting many people to be here, but we need each and every Bible-believing Christian to come and and learn how to share your faith. You say, I've never shared my faith before. This is the best opportunity you will ever have because when a person comes forward, they're already ready to hear the message. Uh, The fish are already in the boat. (laughs) And we need to encourage them and we need Christians to stand up and to share the gospel with those who God is working on in their lives. There's no catch and release Christians. And so once uh, we're praying for people to get saved, once they get saved and they get baptized, A lot of times we just send them off and say, you're on your own. Uh, There's no catch and release fish in God's kingdom. Uh, When he catches us and he saves us and he rescues us, he starts to clean us up. Just like you clean a fish and you fry it up and it fills your belly with something good. He wants to clean you and me up after we're saved. And he wants us to bring good things and blessings into the world through him. And even though it's painful, we go through the cleaning process. He cleans us up. There are no catch and release Christians. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you today, it's important to evangelize and fish for men. It's also important to follow Jesus and abandon everything else. Look at that last verse, verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. God may not call you and I to leave everything, but we need to be prepared that if he would, to follow him, that we would be obedient. And these men left their nets and their boats and and all these things that they had that made their life significant. And they said, these are worth not anything compared to what Jesus is going to do. I want to learn from him. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. And I want to see him do something in my life that is extraordinary. So we fish for men, but we also follow him. In your Christian life, you either deny yourself or you deny Christ. It's one or the other. 
only because he is worthy. These men would go on a three-year journey with their Jewish rabbi, Jesus, learning what it meant to follow him. They, would saw, him, they saw him teach the multitudes and perform miracles. Uh, he explained that he would go and, and die a sacrificial death for our sin and rise from the dead, and they did not comprehend it. And all throughout this wonderful journey, they learned from the master teacher, Jesus. They followed him. And I want to fast forward in the story. This is the beginning of the journey. Now let's look at the end. If you have a Bible, turn to John 21 as we close today. And Peter would go on, and he was a natural-born leader, somewhat impulsive. Uh, but when Peter is around, people are, are following his leadership, sometimes for good or bad. And if you'll remember, Jesus told Peter the night of, before his crucifixion that Peter would deny Jesus this man he had walked with from that early day back at the Sea of Galilee when the boats were overflowing and they left everything to follow him. He had followed him all this way and he said, I will never deny you. But he did. He denied Christ three times. He abandoned Christ. And at this point in the story, in the book of John chapter 21, Jesus has died on the cross for this, our sin. He has been risen from the dead. And he is about to be ascended into heaven where he sits today at the right hand of God the Father. But in this intermediate time, he goes to the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are there. The same sea that we just spent this whole time talking about. And Peter at this point had denied Jesus. I could imagine that it was a little awkward encountering the Son of God. After you had denied him, he had died and risen from the dead. And this is what happened on that same lake with the same character, Simon Peter and Jesus. John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. It's a good thing to do when you've got a lot on your mind. And they said to him, we will go with you. They were following his lead. So they went out and they got into the boat, but at that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, a barbecue. The fish was laid out on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What an amazing miracle. Now look in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, you can imagine they're standing around and, and these guys are having their hands in the pockets and there's Jesus. They had all rejected him. He had fed them. I'd imagine it was a pretty quiet breakfast. Here's the fire and the fish. They had seen Jesus, and here he is. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What's the significance of this story? Peter had lived an extraordinary life following Jesus for three years. But then Peter blew it in a big way. He had denied the Son of God three times. And in this story, the master fisherman on that same sea where Peter first began to follow him restored Peter three times. And he says, even though you've blown it, I want you to get back in the game and make a difference and live an extraordinary life for me. Well, what does that mean for us today? I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about my life and I think, man, I really blew it there. I I missed that opportunity to share Jesus. I wish I would have done that circumstance different when I was a little bit younger. And sometimes we live in a prison of all of our regrets and our mistakes and our shortcomings. But the beauty of the good news is that it's never too late to turn back to Jesus and make a difference. No matter how old you are, no matter how bad you messed up, if you will turn to him and forsake and repent of your sin, he will change you and enable you to start redeeming your days. And all those years that you've wasted, God can redeem them for his kingdom. So I want to encourage you today, whether you're 8 or 18 or or 88, to make a difference, to live an extraordinary life for the Lord through obeying Him, through living an abundant life, a life significant, knowing your identity in Him, and following Him, and seeing a harvest, and watch what He'll do with your life. As the band comes up, we'll enter into a time of invitation. Are you living an extraordinary life for the Lord? Has God stepped into your life and and changed you, and given you a new purpose and identity, and enabled you to live a life that's pleasing to Him, a life that makes a difference? Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus. As you bow right where you're at, maybe you're in the room or watching online, the extraordinary life begins when we turn from our way to God's way. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.